I've been thinking a lot about the development of distributed networks, distributed applications, crowdsourcing, blockchain, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I think it's getting to an interesting point where the technology continues to prove itself in certain applications under certain conditions to be very valuable. And uh, I think the changes that have gone on here over the last couple of years with a bubble and a burst and uh, new coins and tokens coming into play make it very interesting. Uh, one of the things I like to do is to look at how we talk about these new technologies, how we sell these new technologies, how we frame them when we discuss them with people who are either uninterested in technology or find that way above their head. So how do we frame that so it makes it interesting for them to talk about it and hear about it and they get what's going on and they get what the benefits are. So I'm going to explore that in a little monologue here and uh, hope you enjoy it. Bye. I just wanted to share some thoughts about the blockchain and distributed applications and that sort of thing because this is the next development of what we have come to know as the internet. Right? So we've seen the rise of uh, blockchain technology in uh, managing uh, cryptocurrencies like uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tron, etc. By the way, I love that uh, I am now a coin. I am Tron, a coin. That's hilarious, right? Uh, but it's not hilarious because if you look at, for instance, the Tron network and what they're doing to uh, make it possible to uh, create more distributed applications and to create more uh, coins, more um, app-specific or uh, transaction specific currency if you will by creating coins and things of that nature uh, it really is significant significant one of the things I always find interesting about uh, new and emerging technologies or whatever you want to call them is how people describe those and that is sort of my forte is uh, understanding how to sell some of these things that maybe maybe we don't know how to sell. So just as a for instance, um, when uh, I took on the, the mission, if you will, of selling bottled water, uh, promoting a five-gallon bottled water delivery service in a part of the country where there was very, very little adoption of that sort of thing, uh, we had to figure out how to sell that. Now, the municipal and local water supplies uh, were probably not the greatest ever anywhere. Uh, pretty hard water, uh, unsure of exactly what all was in there. Uh, didn't taste very well, depending on which system you were on, might have tasted really bad. 
but it was free coming out of the tap or free in quotation marks, right? I mean, you pay for the service through some tax dollars or, or uh, utility payments or whatever, but it's basically free coming out of the tap. So how do you ask someone to pay $5 for a five gallon bottle of water when they can let the sink run and get the water for free, right? So it was tempting to say, well, you should drink this bottled water because it's been purified three different ways and it doesn't have any impurities in it uh, and so on and so forth. And when people tried to sell it that way, they got no one to buy, as you can imagine. Uh, using uh, that sort of an approach, number one, suggests that the person you're talking to is an idiot because they don't know how bad the water is that they're drinking already and they're stupid for drinking it. That's kind of a difficult way to start a conversation. And the other thing is you're telling people that what they need to do is to pay some water up front to avoid being sick later from drinking water. That's a little bit, some people find that a little bit like extortion, like a little bit of a shakedown, right? Pay me money now so I don't kneecap you later. So that approach did not work. So how did we end up selling it? Well, we ended up selling it a couple ways, right? So one was by giving it away, because if you're competing with something free and you give it to someone free, there's, there's no discussion of, well, what's the value or what am I gaining, what am I losing? So we did free trials of the water. We would knock on somebody's door with a bottle of water on our shoulder and say, hey, we're giving away some free trials of our bottled water service today. All I need is some place to plug in the water cooler and I'll get it all set up for you. And hardly anyone would say no. Okay, well, maybe 40% of the people would say no, but the rest of them would take a free trial. And so what we sold them on was the convenience of having the bottle cooler in your house and how you could have hot water instantly at the tap for making tea or instant coffee or instant soups and how you had cold water instantly there so that if you needed a cool drink, you, you had it right there. We also sold it by the fun. One of the fun things about a bottled water cooler is all the bubbles and gurgles sounds that it makes when you're drinking from it. And no one gets more enjoyment out of that than kids. And one thing that parents often struggle with is how to get their kids to drink more water and how to get them to drink less sugary, sweet, soft drinks. And so by having the kids laugh and giggle at how fun it is to make that bottle gurgle, that was a way to get the kids to drink more water. So by the time we would come back to check on a free trial, we would find that uh, folks were spending less money than they did before the free trial started because their kids were drinking water off, off of the cooler and were refreshed that way and still were giggling at the gurgles. Uh, they found that the water tasted good, but they, you know, that wasn't my suggestion or our suggestion, that was their discovery. So that when we would come to pick up the free trial, we'd say, hi, we're, we're here to pick up your cooler and take your bottles away. Thanks for trying it. People would say, wait, 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 don't take it yet. What does this cost? Uh, and then we would talk to them about the cost as not, you know, it's $5 or $6 for a bottle. 
but we'd say, you know, most families spend about a dollar a day on the service. That includes the rental of the cooler and us delivering bottles to you. And it's so easy to use. You just put your empty bottles out in front of your house on your delivery day. We swap them for full bottles and you're good to go. And about half of the people would say, great, sign me up. Right? Where uh, taking the approach that, hey, you should spend a little money for clean water because it's not full of crap and doesn't taste terrible, got people nowhere. So framing how you sell things is super important. When I sort of took on the mission, if you will, or the job of helping to sell self-storage to the American public by running one of the largest uh, uh, sales centers, reservation centers for the self-storage industry, which is now maybe, you know, I was in the year 2000, we started that. We had to find a way to sell people on the idea of storing their stuff. So uh, you can't get people to want a storage unit by berating them for hoarding or by uh, making them feel stupid because they've got too much stuff in their house or making them feel lazy because they haven't taken time to go clean up or declutter. How we sold it was to offer people the opportunity to buy some time to figure out what to do with their things. So we were not selling space to people. We weren't saying, great, you can you know, buy a 10 by 10 on a monthly basis to keep your things in it. What we sold them was time. We'd ask them how long they might need to use storage, and then we would reassure them that that was fine. They could have it as long as they wanted it, or if they needed things out of there sooner, that's great. Because what we found was that most people just needed some time to figure out what to do with their things because they were between homes or moving from one apartment to the next, and they didn't have time to get their move finished. or. Um, a parent died and they had a whole bunch of things in their parents house that they had to deal with or um, their their kids were growing up and they had things from from baby times or childhood times that they wanted to save for another family member or maybe for grandkids and that sort of thing so they just needed time so we focused on selling them time and not selling them space and that changed how the folks we talked to approach the whole thing and how they um, felt about using self-storage. So that's, you have to forgive me, I love to tell a long story, but what I'm trying to get around to is how to sell the idea of blockchain technologies and decentralized applications because they're not wonder drugs, right? When you have a decentralized application, when a little piece of, of your software system, let's look at it that way, a little piece of it lives on lots of different servers all over the place, you have some efficiencies problems. You have some, you could have some slowness, you could have some inefficiencies. You've got a lot of people touching little bits of data that get all mashed together to make that one document or that one big piece of data. Where having everything on one server gives you some efficiencies, it also however, gives you some risks to have everything on one server. So, you know, it's like everything else, it's not, you know, 100% fantastic, even if it is amazing new technology that opens up all kinds of doors. So one thing, one word that people use in the blockchain system 
is trustless. They say this is a trustless system. You don't have to trust anyone because a document that you have existing out in the distributed network, in the blockchain, uh, can't be altered without everyone knowing it was altered because it exists in a thousand places. And if it gets altered in one place, the 999 service verification that that one was altered, right? So you don't have to trust anyone to be able to trust that a, a document has not been altered. But calling it trustless, I think that's not the right term. I think we need to call it trust-free. It's a trust-free system because you don't have to trust people, but there's trust in the system. So you, that frees you up to not worry about trust. So I would change that from trustless to trust-free. It's a trust-free system. I think that's a much better connotation for people. And, and just the term blockchain, uh, I think that's a terrible term for what it is if you're trying to talk to the public. And we've gotten this blockchain concept to the point where we're really talking more and more to people in the public and blockchain sounds terrible. The word block is a terrible word to describe something unless it's a roadblock or a chalk block to keep your wheels from spinning out of control or whatever. The word chain can be a positive thing, right? You have a chain of, of positive events, uh, but it's also associated with other things like you chain up your dog. That's not pleasant. Aretha Franklin did the song Chain of Fools. You don't want to be in a chain of fools. Uh, it also brings up connotations of captivity and slavery when you think about someone being in chains or someone chained up. So I think we got it, even if that's an accurate description of, of how the technology is built, we need to get rid of that. It's a terrible term. I like decentralized. Decentralized has a nice ring to it. Right, because you know when you centralize something, someone is in control of that and it's all in one place and there's some risk because it exists in one place. But when you decentralize something, you're, you're uh, putting more people in charge of little pieces of it and that seems far less risky, uh, both on a security side where people can come steal it and on a control side where in a decentralized situation, one person or one group cannot take over everything because they don't control the whole thing, right? So you might consider it the same way as if you had $100,000 in savings and you had that $100,000 in one institution, there is some risk there. What happens to that institution? Now, granted, you may be federally insured, but what happens to that one institution? Whereas if you had a dollar in a hundred thousand places, your hundred thousand dollars is not at risk. You may lose your money a dollar at a time in a few places, right? So that's looking at it that way, I think is very powerful to talk about decentralization. I think that's wonderful. The other thing that I think is a, is a, a poor term for talking to the public is this idea of cryptocurrency. 
crypto sounds like something out of a Halloween horror movie or, uh, or something, right? I mean, it, it does not have a cheery connotation. And to, to call something a currency, uh, yes, this stuff is used like currency and is a currency, but I'm not sure that that's the best way to approach that. We already have established systems of points and rewards, right? I mean, I collect a ton of airline points and a ton of hotel points, and that is exactly the same as a cryptocurrency coin. Uh, I collect points for being in this uh, travel program or being a customer of this particular airline, and then I can do something with those points. Right now, it's not quite the same as what we see with decentralized currency, if you want to call it that, uh, or or application-based specific currencies, whatever you want to call those tokens that exist within a specific um, ecosystem. But I can trade in and out of those. I can trade my hotel points for airline points and back and forth using a uh, a few different uh, services. Right, so the, the whole system already exists for trading these so-called cryptocurrencies. So, uh, but I think that's a, that's a poor term. We need a better term for that. Maybe what we call them is tokens. Uh, some people use that word, and I think it, it has a much more pleasant connotation because you think of tokens that you use to play games or, or tokens that, of affection that you to give to someone or game tokens that you win, you know, kind of like gambling chips, right? Those are game tokens. So I think calling them tokens uh, makes a lot more sense when you're talking to the public or calling them points or rewards. Everyone understands what a point or a reward system is. I mean, that's a, that's a, a old system that goes way back. I mean, even before there was the intranets, Right, we had SNH green stamps. You went and collect, collected stamps when you bought things or did things, and then you assembled all of your stamps and mailed them in and got some prize in return. Right, so it's not a new concept at all. What's new about it is by decentralizing the verification and the registration of these tokens and the exchange of these tokens, we're we're creating a level of transparency and a level of security and a level of assurance that allows these things to build and take on significance, All right? So let's maybe stop talking about a trustless system and talk about a trust-free system. And maybe let's stop talking about blockchain and talk about decentralization of information and data storage and the trading of points, rewards, tokens, and not cryptocurrency. Anyway, this is just some ranting long story I'm telling you about some of my thoughts for how we as a, uh, as a group of people interested in decentralization, blockchain, cryptocurrency, application-specific tokens and rewards, how we might better be able to talk about what is being developed and what we're interested in so that people outside of the very specific 
sort of tech and development world that's working on this can think about this and go, ah, I get it. Okay, it makes sense. I understand what you're doing now as a concept. I see why it makes sense. I get the value of it. Now I'm interested in it. Where before, I was just baffled. Must be some crazy techie thing I can't even figure out. Where if we find the right way to talk about it, people are going to go, ah, I get it. I get it. That makes sense. I understand what you're doing. Tell me more about it. Anyway, thanks for enduring one of my long stories. Thanks for listening to the Troncast. Don't be shy about sponsoring this. You can sign up to give me 99 cents a month or $99 a month, whatever you think it's worth. Uh, Tell your friends, share it. Thanks so much. See ya. What do you do for sales training and team building exercises? What do you do for customer service training and team building exercises? I know you're trying all kinds of things, and there's some good stuff out there. But I swear, if anyone ever asked me to do another trust fall, my brain's going to explode. So let's come up with something different. I've been trying to find something different for a while. And I thought, well, why not? Let's come up with a sales training game or a customer service training game, something fun that everyone can get into and that they can laugh about and challenge each other and poke each other a little bit and feel some of the emotional ups and downs that you get when you're in customer service and sales. So I went to a game jam uh, headed up by the local regional economic development group here in Columbia and Boone County, Missouri. And I met uh, a group of game developers and we had so much fun that we ended up creating a game called Starship Junkyard, which is a great and hilarious way to do team building for your businesses, for your sales teams, for your customer service teams. And it's turned out to be just a great family and friends game too. Something you can sit down and play for half an hour or an hour or a great pub game. It's hilarious. It's called Starship Junkyard. And you can find it on Facebook at uh, the Starship Junkyard, the card game. You can buy it on thegamecrafter.com. Go to thegamecrafter.com and look up Starship Junkyard and buy a copy and play it. It's hilarious. So try that for your next team building exercise. Try that for your next sales training meeting. Sit down and play Starship Junkyard and you will be happy you did. Go check it out on Facebook, Twitter. Go buy the game at thegamecrafter.com. The Starship Junkyard, the card game. Thank you. What do you do for sales training? when sales training is so frustrating and seems so counterproductive sometimes, right? Because the people getting trained are sometimes resistant or sometimes they've been through so many training courses where they just tune out everything you say and you sound like the teacher in Charlie Brown. Sometimes the people doing the training are so frustrated because they come up with some really good material and go out in the field and prove some 
really good phraseology and techniques and approaches and then when they try to train it sometimes it doesn't work in reality the way it it worked for them or it doesn't work for the particular people doing it or the folks who get the training just don't feel like putting in the time to perfect it it's really frustrating for the trainers it's also really frustrating for the higher-ups, for the big bosses, because they invest in training and they invest in training materials. And sometimes the numbers don't move, and so they wonder, well, why are we doing this? What's the point? So I've come up with a couple different approaches for sales training that maybe are helpful. One idea is to make it a self-driven process where the salesperson is on their own sales journey, their quest for sales proficiency, their quest to be their own sales hero. So if you want to check that out, go to solvingsales.com. That's all about my self-driven sales journeys program. And you can subscribe to that for, I think right now it's $5 a month. I'm making it super easy so people can get in there and start creating their own journey to sales mastery. SolvingSales.com SolvingSales.com Thank you.